Good to be with you this morning. Before we jump into scripture, I wanted to just to let you know that I was able to chat briefly uh, with uh, Ed Landry yesterday, and Carlotta is on the mend. It's going to take a long time, but she is gradually feeling better, and she wanted me to pass on to all of you uh, her appreciation for all the cards and all the prayers, and uh, so I wanted to do that this morning. And I also just wanted to quickly mention as well that I was talking with Fred and Linda Morash yesterday, and, and uh, I need to tell you that the doctors basically have told Fred there's nothing more they can do for him. He's home. Um, he has uh, terminal cancer, and um, he's just trusting the Lord each day right now. And uh, so I mention it to you all because I know that uh, many of you know Fred and Linda, and uh, that you've been praying. And we would just ask you to continue to pray for Fred and for Linda in these days. Um, I'm not sure if he was able to tune, if he was able to tune in today or not, because we we did have some glitches early on in our our uh, live stream getting online, which is happens sometimes. But um, why don't? You just pause and pray with me right now. Would you, would you do that? Lord, we're thankful so much for the opportunity to gather to de- together today and to spend this time together. And we are mindful, Lord, today of uh, uh, the individuals that make up our, our, our family and the families that make up our family of families and uh, those who have special needs. And we just... Uh, Think about them especially this morning. We pray for Fred that you would give him um, all the grace that he needs, Lord. Comfort, assurance, reassurance. Lord, we do ask for healing because we, that would be our, from our perspective, that would be the, the greatest thing that, uh, that you might uh, do for him today. But we also are, know that, that you have a plan and that, that you're going to work your plan. And so we pray, Father, that you would just um, uh, touch him, touch his body. We pray for Linda. We pray for uh, peace and comfort and for healing for them. We thank you for what you're doing in Carlotta's life, and uh, we pray for Ed and Carlotta this morning that you would continue to to bless them and encourage them. We pray for Dave and Laura Bazanson and for Agnes McKinnon and uh, Lord, just for for others this morning who really need a special touch from you. Uh, and I know there are there are more, that, and I. Worry, Lord, when sometimes when we pray for some, we, we maybe forget others. But Lord, we are very encouraged by the fact that you know all of our needs and you know the very hairs on our heads and you have them all numbered and not a sparrow falls to the ground without your notice. And so, Lord, we're thankful for these precious truths that you love and care for us so much that we just lift up your people. We pray that you would bless and encourage your people today. And as we turn and... Uh, Dig into scripture this morning we, together. We pray that you would use it to, to bless and to build your church. Uh, Lord, we pray you would uh, speak to our hearts and that we would have ears to hear this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you ready to do some learning today? Oh, thanks. Mic on. I... I so, so uh, I got halfway there. Um, are you ready to learn? 
Are you ready to think together with me here today? Because that can be, that can be uh, some of the harder things that we're uh, asked to do. Uh, we're talking about discipleship. That's a serious subject. That's a, a matter that we concern ourselves with today that's uh, going to take some, uh, some uh, brain power <laughs> to think well about it. Uh, we, as a church, we have this thing that we developed that we uh, call our life model. Uh, it's based on three sets of three biblical components Three uh, aspects or functions, or we don't even know what to call these things, but uh, uh, these uh, uh, things that are represented by the eye and the groups and the body. Three aspects of our, of our lives, our individual lives, our group lives, uh, and our, um, our, our, the body, our church family as a whole. And this, we uh, gather like we are here today. And then there's those three core values, those three core values of truth, community, engagement. And we, we in the diagram, it has uh, head, heart, and hands. That's just a, just a metaphoric way of referring to those three aspects of our lives, our head, representing, our, representing the, how we uh, receive truth, our hearts representing how we belong to the Lord and to each other and what that means to us, and then engagement, our, our hands, what we do. And so it's knowing, being, and doing is what it, what it is. And, so, uh, and then there's those three uh, developmental stages of the process of discipleship referenced by the words call, equip, and send. And that's, we recognize that as the, Jesus, the way that Jesus interacted with his disciples. And the thing about that last part, the call, equip, send part, is I want to just go over that just a little bit with you all here this morning uh, because of the way it relates to the passages that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks. When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we observe that there were multiple times of calling and equipping and sending. Um, the overall process of discipleship is... Uh, made up of, of calling, uh, being called, and being equipped, and being sent by Jesus. Uh, but it's not like Jesus uh, told them everything they needed to know and, and waited until they knew everything and were fully equipped before he sent them out, right? We do know that. You do know that, right? Jesus didn't just call them, give them everything they needed, tell them everything they needed to know, and said, okay, guys, where you go. It wasn't like that because life is not quite like that. We learn every day to the day we die, or we should, right? So now, this, that might seem obvious to you, but, but I have to tell you, if you don't know this already, that our uh, approaches to um, education whether we're talking about education in general terms or whether we're talking about discipleship in specific terms, has tended towards this idea that, that, we're, that that's, uh, we're going to give everybody the information they need, and then when we, when we think they're ready, then we're going to commission them or send them or deploy them into life and, and, and ministry and mission. And, and uh, you know, here's something that, that I think is something that God has reminded me of throughout my life, and that is, is if I wait till I feel I'm ready, I will never be ready. Do we honestly think that we're ever going to feel ready for the mandate that God has for our lives? 
But that's not the way life works. Jesus sent his disciples out. He called them continually. He was continually calling them. There were many times in the life and ministry of Jesus with his disciples, many calling times, many uh, uh, equipping times or forming times, formative times, and many uh, commissioning or sending times, times of engagement. And, uh, but we don't naturally gravitate to that. Why? It's because we like life to be linear. We like things to be simple and sequential. We, we like to have a clear beginning, a consistent progress, and then a definitive end point. That's what we like. Um, that's why we like lists so much. Because we just say, you know, it's like this. I do this, and then this, and then this, and I get this. You could refer to that as a formula as well. And I'm, I have to tell you today, if you don't know this, that there is no formula to the, the Christian life or to life in general. Um, life does have a progression, and I'm thankful for that, but it's not always sequential. Uh, these things are, are clear, but they're not simplistic. Or you could say they're simple, but they're not simplistic. Uh, life is both simple and at the same time seemingly infinitely complex, and we have to be careful we do not allow uh, either one to destroy the other when we're conceiving of these things. We don't want to oversimplify. We don't want to ignore the fact that there is a simplicity, but yet uh, an amazing complexity of life. Now, I'm sorry if that all sounds very theoretical and everything to you. It's hard for us to conceive of these things. These are conceptual ideas that, that are... Um, um, relate to our, our lives, it's not, not easy. And it's hard to put these things on paper. It's hard to put these things into some kind of a diagram. That their model, the diagram that we had up earlier, you might have noticed that it, has, it consists of circles, but we also have arrows in there. And those arrows are meant to somehow create a sense of progress. So I was thinking we should have arrows on that world, on that line that has the world on it there. There should be, a, it should be an arrow pointing up there because we are making progress. You know, as the mission of Jesus goes forward and as our lives move forward, there is progress. But there's also a lot of repetition and a lot of reinforcement. How many of you know there's a lot of repetition in life? There's a lot of things that get repeated over and over again, things that need to get repeated over and over again, because we don't learn things just like that, do we? You ever say this? Well, how come I have to learn the same lessons over and over again? I should know that by now. I'm 60 years old. I should know that by now. And why is that? That's because life isn't like that. We wish it was like that. We wish it was just boom, 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 and here we are. Yay. You know? But that's not life, and that's not discipleship. The different parts of our lives overflow into one another. They're interconnected, and when we're teaching uh, about this thing that we call our life model, it's important to remind ourselves that how everything is integrated. It's all integrated. I think about the relationship between engagement and mission, or engagement and being sent. There's, there's a lot of relationship between those, those things. And so, as I've thought about these encounters this past week or two that Jesus had, with his disciples, between his resurrection and his ascension, it's been really driven home to me forcefully the significance of these particular uh, encounters. And, and the reason is twofold. As I said in the newsletter uh, that went out on Thursday, it's, uh, it, in a sense, Jesus had two missions. There was 
the mission to come and to live a perfect life and then to lay down his life and to suffer and to die and to rise again for our salvation. But there was also the mission to make disciples. And the first of those two things, Jesus finished completely when he died on that cross and rose from the grave. It is finished. He's done everything uh, to save us. But discipleship, Jesus, have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered why Jesus just didn't reappear to his disciples and say, okay, guys, I'm here, I'm alive, glory, hallelujah, I'll see you all in glory, I'm out of here. But he didn't do that. He, uh, the scripture says he appeared to them multiple times. Luke chapter, or Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us that he appeared to them multiple times over the course of 40 days. Those are the instances that we're looking at in these next three weeks, as Josh mentioned a few moments ago. And what makes them significant is two things. One, these are the last times that Jesus will spend with his disciples before he leaves the planet. The other thing that makes it significant is that they are representative and in some ways not unlike the other times that he met with them, those formative times, those learning times, all those times over the course of those last three plus years that he spent with them day in, day out, uh, teaching times and learning times and growing times and forming times, discipleship times. And um, then there's this. Every other account or encounter prior to these times, Jesus was teaching and forming people that did not comprehend either his suffering and death or his victorious resurrection. They didn't get that at all. So is he going to change up his approach to discipleship now? Is he going to change the way he interacts with them now? Is he going to basically show up and say, okay, guys, forget everything I told you, because it's all new now. I'm alive. I died for your sins, and I'm alive. And, of course, you know that's not going to happen. Um, because these encounters that we're looking at today and next Sunday and the Sunday after are times of calling, times of equipping, and times of sending. There are times uh, about where it'll be about truth, about community, and about engagement. Because why? Because that's our model? No. Because that's what Jesus has consistently done. Those are the things he has consistently emphasized. And, and now he wants to really drive it home. So these are significant encounters. These are significant passages. And so today's encounter with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, we will see, focuses on the truth. Specifically, it focuses on the truth of Scripture. Next week, we're going to be talking more about community. 
or, or love. That's the word Jesus used in Mark chapter uh, 13. By the way, these three core values of truth, uh, community, and engagement are taken from those three passages in John where Jesus lays out the markers of discipleship. He calls them truth, uh, John chapter 8, uh, love, John chapter 13, and he uses the word fruit in John chapter 15. But fruit, the word fruit in an, in an agrarian culture was a metaphor for what? Productivity. In other words, we relate that to the idea of making a difference in the name of Jesus in the lives of other people. That's what we mean when we talk about engagement. That's what we mean when we talk about being sent into the world, in the world but not of the world, serving in, in, in Jesus' name. Making a difference in people's lives. Is that important to you? It was so important to Jesus. These things are the great, of the greatest concern to Jesus. Uh, and whatever words we use, we're talking about tr- um, knowing, being, and doing. That's the nuts and bolts of life. And discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus con- is concerned with the nuts and bolts of lives. It's it's. Where, where we live, it's how we live. And we're, so we're thinking here about how we are being made and making disciples for Jesus. So these, three, these narratives, uh, they're, really, they're, really, uh, they're really quite something. They're called appearances in Luke, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter uh, one and in other places. They're called appearances, but, and they obviously were those instances where Jesus appeared, resurrected with and for his disciples. But he did much more than appear. They are formative times of disciple making. And they need to be formative times of disciple making in our lives. And I hope they will be as we look at them together. Luke chapter 24. Today we are in Luke 24. um, And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 35. I hope you have your Bible there and ready and open and ready to go. Luke 14, 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. What day is that? That very day, what day? The day the women found the tomb empty. If you look at the first 12 verses of Luke 24, that's what it's about. The women go to the tomb expecting to do something uh, with regard to further preparing the body of Jesus. And when they get there, there is no body of Jesus because the tomb is, um, is, uh, is, is empty. So here are these two disciples heading for Emmaus that very day. Now, it doesn't tell us why they're heading to, to Emmaus, but you have to wonder why they would be making this trip, don't you? Uh, I mean, Luke says it was seven miles. That's a fairly, uh, fairly good trip on foot, seven miles away from Jerusalem. And the location of this town uh, is not known for certain. It's disputed by historians and archaeologists alike. There are traditions uh, of the site that include a number of possibilities. But it's interesting, the word Emmaus means warm baths. And maybe that's why they were heading there. Maybe they were saying, man, I need a warm bath. I could really use a hot bath. <laughs> 
I don't know, but it says in verse 14 that as they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. They were talking about all these things that, were, that had happened. What things? What had happened in the last three days? Oh my. If you were here last Sunday, you heard Joe the gardener describe what happened over those last three days. And there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, now the passage just says that they were talking about these things, but can you imagine? Uh, and as we see, as we read on in the text, they were engrossed in conversation. They were so engrossed in the conversation, they hardly even noticed this stranger pull up beside them. Now maybe the, the, uh, wherever this town of Emmaus was exactly, there would have been... Uh, whichever one of the sites you choose, there would have been roads joining on this road as the, as the road went out from Jerusalem to the town of Emmaus. And so maybe it was at one of those, those crossroads where Jesus, this, this stranger, just slipped in beside them and starts overhearing their conversation. But they, they, uh, they don't seem to notice this stranger. Um, they certainly don't recognize him because it goes on in verse 15. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, have you been living under a rock? Now that's a paraphrase. But that's kind of what he meant. It's like, you, you, you're not from around here, are you? Because if you were from around here, you would know because everybody knows. Everybody knows what's going on. Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? You know, the text, text says that they just stood there when he, when he asked them about it. They just stood there and it says, and uh, they were, uh, stood, stood there sad. That's probably a word that, you know, could be embellished, don't you think? Sad, yeah, sad like your whole, your whole world is just Falling apart, sad. Sad like your whole life has just crumbled, sad. Sad like every hope you ever had has just been dashed to the ground, kind of sad. They were completely and utterly forlorn. And they were more than a little bit incredulous that this stranger didn't know what was, had been going on. And uh, the word stranger does not appear in this passage. We refer to this passage as the stranger on the road to Emmaus. And... Uh, but, it, but it, it's true. He was, to them, a complete stranger because they had no idea that it was Jesus. It says in the King James, it says their eyes were holden. In other words, that information or that recognition had been held back from them. Um, the, uh, you know, it says in our, our, uh, the ESV, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Why would that be so? Here's why I think, and you can judge for yourself, but I think it was because Jesus 
wants this to be a really, really, really big teachable moment. They say to him, you're obviously not from around here because if you were around from around here, you would know the things that have been going on around here. And he says to them, what things? What things are that? Is that? You know, it strikes me that he just lets them talk. It's like Jesus is still asking questions. We've seen for the last three plus years, as Jesus has been forming his disciples, how much he loved to simply just ask people good questions so that they had to really think hard. And that's what he does here. He says, what things? In other words, tell me about it. Tell me about these things that you've been talking about. So they do. Verse 19, he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who uh, was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. It's very interesting that they describe him as a prophet, isn't it? not as the prophet. Remember the woman at the well, John chapter four. Uh, we know that the prophet comes, the prophet, Deuteronomy, Moses, a prophet will rise up after me like me. You listen to him, he's gonna, and she said, I know that the prophet's coming. He's gonna tell us everything. He's gonna be the prophet, the priest, the king. But they, here they, they say, we know, you know he was a prophet but they didn't refer to him as the prophet. Why? Because all their hopes have been dashed. All the hopes that they had that Jesus would be the prophet have been dashed because he's dead. As far as they're concerned, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. And he was crucified, verse 20. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. Not just dead, crucified dead. Humiliated dead. Despised, humiliated, rejected, and tortured to death. It didn't go along with their messianic hopes at all. It was the exact opposite. They'd hoped that he would be the, the prophet, the redeemer, the Messiah king. And then it says, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. It seems Jesus said something about the third day, right? What did Jesus say about the third day? Well, when you read through the Gospels, we see that he said over and over again, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over and betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles, and he's going to be crucified, and he's going to rise again the third day. And he told them that over and over again. But they didn't understand that. All that to, seems to mean to them right now is three whole days to live in despair, completely dejected. I got to get out of here. I, I, I'm out of here. I'm leaving town. You with me? Let's go 
find some place and have a hot bath. Haven't you ever wondered what, what they were doing heading out of town? I mean, Jerusalem was where everything had happened, and it's the place to be if you're expecting a resurrection. So the simple truth is, they're not expecting a resurrection. And we need to understand that to really understand this passage. Because here they are, heading out of town, right after the women have just come back from the tomb saying it was empty. Right? Verse 22, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that we have seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. What? What on earth were these guys doing? The women find the tomb empty and they see, have an angelic vision who, and the angels tell them that Jesus has risen from the dead and he is alive. That's not the time you want to leave town, is it? What does all this mean? Well, I think it means for one thing that faith doesn't come easy. Especially faith in the resurrection. So here they are, they're leaving town. We're done. We're finished. And this is where Jesus, uh, we have in verse 25, says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27 is a key verse. Take a look. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look closely at that verse because that is the big teachable moment right there. We'll come back to it in a minute, but let's just finish up the text. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward the evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their hearts were on fire. Their hearts were on fire. Their hearts were on fire when, what? When he opened the scriptures to them, when he expounded the scriptures to them. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, 
before they even had the realization that Jesus was alive. The scriptures are being expounded to them and their hearts are on fire. That's a really important detail because Paul will later write these words. He will say, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why would Jesus make this point? This point. Why would he set up this teachable moment? What is he trying to, to convey here? What, what does he want us to take from this? Is it not that the power of the word of God? How does faith come to us? Does it come to us through eyes of flesh? Is faith by sight? Or is faith by hearing the word of God? Because I think this is the teachable moment. Verse 33 and 34 and 35 says, And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of, of the bread. That's probably significant. It was in the breaking of the bread that God uh, opened their eyes or God used that to open their eyes. We're not sure like why all that might be, but I just can't help but think about how many times uh, you know, Jesus would have broken bread with his disciples. And, and, uh, and when it says that he broke the bread, you know, do you, he would have taken, he, he would have taken the lead. You know, it was a, place of to lead in, in, in the mealtime by the breaking of the bread was to take the lead. And so he would have taken the lead and broken the bread. And when he broke the bread, do you think he gave thanks? Of course he gave thanks because Jesus always gave thanks every time he broke bread. So here, picture this. He takes the lead, takes the head of the table, breaks the bread, gives thanks and breaks the bread. And that's when they knew. That's when their eyes were opened and they realized who he was. And then he vanished uh, immediately from their sight, it says. I want to go back to verse 27 with you because I think that really is the key to this passage. And it's the, um, it's the emphasis of the passage. And it makes sense of all the passage. And it is the teachable moment of the entire passage. Verse 27 says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the emphasis here is on the expounding of scripture and that the scriptures are all about Jesus. Our first core value is truth. Wherever it's found, Truth is true wherever it's found. Whether it's found in scripture or whether it's found through science or whether it's found through other documents in history or whatever. But here's the difference about this truth. This truth is the only truth that we can know for ab with absolute certainty. Because scriptures are completely and utterly reliable because they're inspired by God. They come from the mouth of God. That passage in uh, Timothy where Paul says all scripture is inspired, literally there it is God breathed. 
God breathed out scripture. And so when we read scripture, we can know for certain of what we're reading that it is certainly true. And so truth is a core value for us as disciples of Jesus Christ. Where is your faith this morning? Where is your faith this morning? I hope it's not in some experience that you've had. Not that experiences aren't important and can't be wonderful things, but that's not where our faith is supposed to be. Here are these two men. They haven't even had the experience yet. As far as they're concerned, Jesus is dead. But God used his word, the expounding of his word. You know, instead of Jesus saying, hey guys, it's me. I'm alive. He says, let's do some Bible study. That has to be significant. And it is significant. It's of the utmost significance. Because it means that our faith needs to be in what God says. Our faith needs to be in what God says. We need to be people of the book. You know, we've just spent a year and a half from September of 2018 uh, to March of 2020 when COVID hit, going through the entire Old Testament. And I was thinking recently about some of the things that we learned and some of my favorite things. And I, my mind goes back, and it's too many, you know, obviously to think through or recount. I'm not, I'm not going to even attempt to do anything like that this morning. But, but one of the places my mind went to was, was the book of Ruth and the Goel, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. Did you hear what these guys said? They said, we thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. (laughs) Do you remember the Goel, the one who identifies, the one who who identifies with us as our, our brother and pays the price and buys us back? Jesus is the Goel. All through the Old Testament, Jesus took them that day. I don't, know what he, I don't know what all he showed them, but maybe that was one of the passages. Or maybe he, he took them to the writings of David and talked about uh, how, how that concept of David goes over and over and over again, has, has said the unfailing love of God. That thing which uh, saved David and, 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 and explained David's whole life. The unfailing love of God. Well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the unfailing love of God. He is the set. And over and over and on and on it goes. You know, as we go through the rest of Scripture, as we make our way through the rest of the New Testament, we are going to see, um, uh, you know, the apostles' uh, core message was the death and resurrection of Jesus that what we call the gospel and how essential it was for them to be eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. It was a prerequisite for them as apostles to be eyewitnesses to the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when you read through, it's, it's significant that even while they did this, they constantly appealed to the scriptures. It starts in Peter's message at Pentecost. He said, God has made us witnesses of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and has risen from the dead. 
But then he goes to the Old Testament and he expounds those Old Testament scriptures to them. And it goes from there right through the New Testament. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. I know you've heard them before, but just listen again to these words and see how Paul frames this, all right? He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are now saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as in one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What am, what am I trying to say to you this morning? What I'm saying is, is that our faith needs to be in the scriptures, what God says. And the scriptures are all about Jesus, which means our faith is in Jesus, but it comes by our reading and depending on what the word of God says. Next uh, Sunday, we're going to be in John chapter 20 and 21, where the story of Thomas is there. You remember Thomas? He said, I, I can't believe. I can't believe what you're telling me. And Eight days later, his disciples uh, were gathered and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and play it, out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. Why would we believe when we haven't seen? And the answer is because we've heard. What have we heard? We've heard the word of God. Scripture. And then John says uh, in, in, his, in the text there, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus, Christ is, uh, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The resurrection is the greatest miracle uh, ever, and it's the greatest miracle that Jesus performed, but it wasn't the only one, was it? Jesus did hundreds of miracles, maybe, maybe thousands. And we didn't get, we, how many of those did you see? None. Do you believe them? Do you believe they happened? Why do you believe they happened? As Christians, we need to have truth as a core value. 
And the truth of scripture is the most important truth there is. It's the only truth that we can depend 100% absolutely on. And we need to be people of the book. Where is your faith today? What are you counting on? What are you consuming? How, how do we have our lives formed as disciples? Because when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about life change. How, how do our lives change? How do we actually grow as disciples? Remember what Jesus told the devil? It's written back in Deuteronomy, devil. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. His instruction, coming to know and depend on his word, his promises, which are all about Jesus. What time is it? 10 to? We're going to stop right there. That's a good end point. What are you depending on today? Where's your faith? What are you counting on? What are you consuming? We need to be people of the book. Are you a man of the book? Are you a woman of the book? Are you a young person who knows, loves, reads, and studies scripture? I hope so. Because that is absolutely, completely essential if we are going to be disciples. If we are going to... uh, be made as disciples or and or make disciples we need to be in scripture will you pray with me this morning to that end lord i thank you for your word today i thank you for giving it to us i thank you lord for the written word that comes from your mouth and is so precious to us. We have your will. We have your record of historical events, especially the events that form the basis of our salvation, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we have all of the instruction for living that comes to us from your word, calling us and pointing us to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is our all in all, Everything we need, everything we could ever need, Lord, we pray that you would make us people of the book. I ask for your people today, Lord, that you would make us people of the book. I I pray for anyone who today who may be tuning in and maybe they've never put their faith in Jesus Christ. But I pray today, Lord, that they would hear the words of this passage, these passages of Scripture and that you would create faith in their hearts, that you would take off uh, the, the, the things that uh, hold their eyes and give them um, sight, spiritual vision, faith. You would create faith in Jesus in people's hearts this day. Make us followers, Lord. Make us followers who make followers of you. Make us people of the book, we pray. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.